0: On Tuesday, nearly a full day after Islamic terrorist Abdul Razak Ali Artan, also not named Bob Smith, ran a car into a group of students and then hopped out with a butcher's knife and began hacking away, CNN still can't uncover a motive. Here's CNN's headline, quote, Students back in class at Ohio State. Investigators search for knife attack motive. Ohio Governor John Kasich, oh God no, please God no, not John Kasich, has now announced, quote, we may never find out why Artan committed this act of terrorism. I have a hot lead. It is called Facebook. Here was Arton's post just before entering into a personal jihad against Americans. Quote, In the name of Allah, the most merciful and the most gracious, my brothers and sisters, I am sick and tired of seeing my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters being killed and tortured everywhere. Seeing my fellow Muslims being tortured, raped and killed in Burma led to a boiling point. I can't take it anymore. Americans stop interfering with other countries, especially the Muslim Ummah. We are not weak. We are weak. Remember that. Wait, what? If you want us Muslims to stop carrying lone wolf attacks, then make peace with Daulah in Al-Sham. Make a pact or a treaty with them where you promise to leave them alone, you and your fellow apostate allies. By Allah, we will not let you sleep unless you give peace to the Muslims. You will not celebrate or enjoy any holidays. Stop the killing of Muslims in Burma. By the way, every single Muslim who disapproves of my action is a sleeper cell waiting for a signal. I am warning you, O America, and a message to the Muslims. Don't listen to celebrity scholars who sold their deen. I am talking about the likes of Yasser Oafi, Omar Suleiman, Numan Mufti, and the list goes on. Beware of Al-Maghreb Institute. Listen instead to our hero, Imam Anwar al alaki let me, let me ask you this question. If the Muhammad peace and blessings upon him and his were here today, wouldn't the Western media call them terrorists? To conclude by Allah, I am willing to use a billion infidels in retribution. I, I I can't get it, guys. I, wh- how? Like, wh- what drove this? I can't. We need Encyclopedia Brown. Must be on the case. Let's get him out there on his bicycle. Maybe he can uncover a motive in the Great Ohio State stabbing attack. I don't know. The clues are, are just not there. I I can't make the connection. Uh, the hot lead wasn't so hot. The media have decided to make this about discrimination against Muslims. Of course, here is CNN again. Quote: Back in August, Ohio State's student-run newspaper profiled Arton as part of its "Humans of Ohio State" series. Obviously, they took humans a little too seriously. He had just transferred from Columbus State and talked about his struggles to find a place to pray in peace on the large campus, unquote. They neglect to mention that at the end of that profile, Artan admits he engaged in prayer in the open with no consequences, which is normal. As an Orthodox Jew, I pray three times a day. In the mornings, I pray with a talus, which is the prayer shawl, and the tefillin, which is the phylacteries. You wrap them around the arm and on the head. I have never been bothered or even approached while praying in public everywhere from campuses to airports. This is America, the most tolerant country on planet Earth. But the media have to pretend that Artin was a victim of the West rather than a perpetrator against it. That, by the way, springs from a deep-seated need to cast Western civilization in a negative light. The media did the same thing after a spate of attacks in France. An enormous series of stories broke about how France had not been tolerant enough toward new Muslim immigrants, you know, aside from giving them welfare and taking them in and the whole deal. Because the left's chief priority in life is equality of outcome, and because the left believes actions should have no connection with consequences, the left has to connect All unhappiness and suffering, not with individual decision-making or bad ideology, but with the system. And the system is Islamophobic, and that must be why Artin was so upset and went on a stabby spree. Or, alternatively, we may never know why this Islamic terrorist self-declared committed an act of Islamic terrorism. You wanna know why Donald Trump won? Because of this sort of crap. We all know why Arton committed an act of terrorism. It wasn't because of the lack of gun control, or the evils of income inequality, or any other stupid reason those who purposefully attempt to obscure the truth suggest. It was because of radical Islam. At least Trump will say the words, unlike cowards from both the left and the right. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty. So, we have tons to get to here today. Uh, lots, of, lots of Trump Twitter fun. Uh, that, that guy's Twitter account is just going to be a barrel of laughs for the next four years. And he will definitely fill us up with good Trump, bad Trump. For for years to come, which is very exciting. Uh, And again, thanks to Brandon Snipes for the theme on that. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, we have to say hello to our friends over at Birch Gold. If you have not yet bought some gold for your portfolio, now would be a pretty opportune time. The markets right now are doing really well, which means that at some point in the future, they won't be doing quite as well. And when that happens, you're going to want to be a little bit diversified in precious metals. Uh, Birch Gold can ensure that you get your IRA or 401k into precious metals, helps sort of hedge against inflation and bad economic times. Gold has never been worth zero. It is, of course, the universal human commodity uh, and the universal human standard of currency. Uh, precious metals, something that you should look into investing in. And Birch Gold does it really well. Birchgold.com slash Ben. Birchgold.com slash Ben. A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. And again, you should visit their site. and get a 16-page free kit and get all your information. Ask all your questions before you invest. And then when you're ready to invest in precious metals, talk to my friends at Gold Group. Birchgold.com slash Ben. All righty. So, Let's begin with yesterday's attack at Ohio State University. So, as I say, the media have completely gotten it wrong because this is what they do for a living. Uh, There was this interview that this this attacker did uh, with the Lantern, which is an Ohio State University publication. And here's what this interview said. It said, humans of Ohio State, and this is a direct quote from this guy who just wounded 11 people with a knife after driving a car into them. Quote, I just transferred for Columbus State. We had prayer rooms, like actual rooms where we could go to pray, because we Muslims have to pray five times a day. There's Fajr, which is early in the morning at dawn, then Zur during the daytime, then Asr in the evening, like right about now, and then Maghrib, which is like right at sunset, and then Isha at night. I wanted to pray Asr. I mean, I'm new here. This is my first day. This place is huge, and I don't even know where to pray. I wanted to pray in the open, but I was kind of scared with everything going on in the media. I'm a Muslim. It's not what the media portrays me to be. If people look at me, a Muslim praying, I don't know what they're going to think, what's going to happen, but I don't blame them. It's the media that put put that picture in their head. So they're just going to have to have it and it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. I was kind of scared right now, but I just did it. I relied on God. I went over to the corner and just prayed and nothing happened because no one cares because in America, you can pray however you want and no one is going to bother you because again, this is America. But it does illuminate a couple of points that are pretty amazing. Uh, Number one, in order for people to perpetrate acts of violence and terror, they have to feel like they're victims. People like to feel justified in what they're doing. Very few, you know, TV makes... All of the bad guys on TV, people who are insanely barbaric and, and sadists. Like if you watch Game of Thrones, you know, the, the great villains in Game of Thrones, people like Joffrey Baratheon uh, or people like Ramsay Bolton, these are all people who revel in other people's suffering. It's something they enjoy, right? They just like cutting parts off of people and they take a sick sort of pleasure in it. The truth is the vast majority of people who commit acts of violence on Earth are not sociopathic sadists. They're not people who just sit around going, you know what I'd really like to do? Cut a finger off somebody today. The number of people who are like that is actually very, very small in the human population. It's really small. Hollywood likes to build those people up as the, as the real villains. The real villains are always people who just enjoy the sadism for the sake of the sadism. But that's a really small group of people. Most people who do evil things think they're doing something good. right? Most people who were participating in the Holocaust thought that they were doing something good on behalf of the fatherland. Most people who participated in the mass killings in the Soviet Union... Literally, people got so tired during the mass killings in the Soviet Union, the soldiers got so tired from holding their arm out to shoot people in the head that they actually had people on staff, masseuses on staff, who would massage the right arm and trigger finger of the people who were pulling the gun because they were murdering so many thousands of people at a time in the Soviet Union. Those people, they thought that they were heroes. They thought they were doing something good. Right? People always have to think they're doing something good. There's not a person who's alive who doesn't have a way to justify their actions. It's just the way the human brain works. In fact, Jonathan Haidt, who's a sort of an ethicist and sociologist at New York University, he wrote a whole book called The Righteous Mind in which he discusses the fact that the human brain is sort of like – we tend to think that the reasonable side of us is what controls the human brain. In reality, he likens the human brain to a rider on an elephant. The elephant is sort of your instinctive mind. The elephant really tells you where to go, and then the rider can sort of make small deflections as to the path of the elephant, but in the end, the elephant rules. That's how human beings really work. We want to do certain things, and then we come up with justifications later for the things that we're doing. Well, one of the ways that you justify killing a bunch of innocent people at Ohio State University is not because you're a sadist and you want to watch people suffer. You do it because you think you're a victim. You build up in your own mind that you are the victim of an evil, evil system that Islamophobia is targeting you, and therefore you are acting in response, Right? You're always punching back. No one has ever been an, offense, an offender. No one's ever an aggressor. You're always punching back. Bin Laden, if you read his, his statements, it was always about, I'm taking revenge for X. It was always, I'm justified in doing what I'm doing because I'm reacting, right? Yeah, I didn't start it. You started it. And that, that's always what, what evil people say. That's what good people say, too, sometimes, but they're the ones who are telling the truth. So you have to build up the, the idea that you are a victim of Islamophobia. So the Islamophobia narrative that was promoted by this guy is, is point number one, which is you have to feel justified in order to kill innocent people. Point number two, and this is the part that's, that's truly amazing, is that, you know, he says in there that the media portray this really terrible vision of Muslims and that's why people view me badly. No, actually, if people view Muslims badly... Uh, It's because people who say that Muslims ought not to be viewed badly drive trucks into groups of people and then stab them with butcher knives like that. That would probably be it, right? This guy who's saying, I don't understand why people see Muslims so badly. Uh, If they do, it's because of people like you. And we shouldn't paint, of course, all Muslims with the the brush of this terrorist. That's silly. But it is worthwhile noting that the same guy who's complaining about media coverage of Islam is the guy who drove a truck into the middle of a group of people and then started hacking away with a butcher's knife. I mean, that, that, that is worth noting. It is also worth noting that the Islamophobia narrative is a way to shut down debate. It's a way for for people to simply suggest that you can't have real questions about how radical Islam works, about the ideology of radical Islam, whether it's promoting violence. You just shout Islamophobia, and that ends the conversation. There's this suffix that the left loves to add to things, and, and that suffix is phobia. And the reason they do that is because they want to suggest that your opposition to some activity is not rooted in reason or risk assessment. Your opposition to certain activity is rooted instead in an insane fear of things, right? So if you say that men are men and women are women, for example, and that men can't magically become women and women can't magically become men, the response of the left is not, that's scientifically false, let me explain to you how a woman is a man because they can't do that. Instead, the response is, you're a transphobe, right? You're transphobic. I'm not afraid of transgender people. I don't know a lot of people who are afraid of transgender people. I feel horrible for transgender people, but the way that the left act it's not if you if you believe this it's not because in any way you have science to back you it's because you are a phobe right you fear so if you are concerned about radical Islam the left's response is well yeah that's because you fear Islam you have an irrational fear of, of Islam and, and radical Islam first of all Fear of radical Islam is perfectly rational, given the record of radical Islam around the world, to women, to gays, to people of civilized nations, everywhere, to Jews, to Christians. There's plenty to fear from radical Islam, obviously. But the left slaps the phobia label on there to label you pathological for having attitudes about people based on their own decision-making process. You don't want to be called pathological. You don't want to be called a weakling who lives in fear all the time. And so instead you say, okay, well, if I see somebody who, is, who may be engaged in something bad, I'm not going to report it because I don't want people labeling me an Islamophobe. That's the danger of labeling people phobic. Uh, it's the danger of, of saying that somebody is pathological, they have something wrong with their brain, if they, if they have a risk assessment about, about a, peop- a group of people who engage with a certain ideology. Again, no one ever said Nazi phobic, right? Because Nazism was an evil ideology. Radical Islam is an evil ideology. Not Islam itself, radical Islam. Now, the Islam that says that honor killings are okay and that clitorectomies are worthwhile and that Jews ought to be slaughtered behind the rocks and the trees where they hide. That sort of Islam is absolutely evil and should be fought. And it's not phobic to say that, right? No one's Nazi-phobic. You just don't like Nazism because it's a bad ideology. Radical Islam is a bad ideology. Not mainstream Islam, not mainstream Islam, radical Islam. And there is a distinction. Westernized Muslims are not the same as, as Muslims who are living in Afghanistan. You can see it by the polling data. And one of the things I don't like to do here on the Ben Shapiro show is get into textual analysis of the Quran, because I'm significantly more interested in what people do than in what people feel. Right? I'm more interested in, in behavior. Right? There's lots of stuff in the Bible, too, that's pretty violent, but Judeo-Christian tradition has basically read a lot of that stuff as either obsolete or inapplicable to today's situation. And so how people act matters more to me than what the Bible says, you know, in terms of assessing how people think and act. The same thing is true of Islam. If you, if you meet a moderate Muslim, I judge them by behavior, not by ideology. The only reason ideology matters is if the ideology actually produces more violent people. Radical Islam does produce more violent people. Nazism produces more violent people. That makes a difference. But I'm not going to sit here and analyze Quranic verses, because there are a lot of people who interpret the Quranic verses in a moderate way, which is good, and there are a lot of people who don't, which is bad. So I'd rather analyze the philosophy of the people who are doing the bad things than try and lump everybody together. That's why I don't bother doing the Quranic analysis, which everyone's capable of doing, and everybody has a different, a different read. Okay, so in other news from this Ohio State thing, the media is trying to ignore that Islam had anything to do with it, radical Islam had anything to do with it, or political Islam more realistically had anything to do with it. Instead, the media wanted to jump on the bandwagon about gun control. So here is what – as this thing was unfolding yesterday, there were reports that there was an active shooter at Ohio State. And normally when these things break, the information is really, really spotty, right? You don't know very much about what's going on because usually – there are several different accounts. They'll, they'll, very often they'll say multiple shooters, when it's really just multiple accounts of the same shooter. In this particular case, there was no shooter. The shots that were being heard were from the cop who killed uh, this this terrorist bastard. So the left couldn't wait. They immediately jumped to their narrative, and they started tweeting. Here's Tim Kaine. Well, here's Shannon Watts. We, we can start with Tim Kaine. Fine. Stick there. <laughs> so here's Tim Kaine, the, uh, the senator— from Virginia and former vice presidential candidate, deeply saddened by the senseless act of gun violence at Ohio State this morning, praying for the injured and the entire Buckeye community. So he's jumping immediately to the gun control argument, right? Whenever the left says senseless act of gun violence, what they really mean is let's ban guns. Number one, it wasn't an act of gun violence. Number two, it wouldn't have been senseless. It was obviously driven by an ideology, an evil murderous ideology. He wasn't the only one. Uh, Shannon Watts, who is a, a gun control leader, She tweeted, for school shooting victims, it's not too soon to discuss our nation's lax gun laws. It's too late. Ohio State University. Except there was no school shooting at Ohio State University. It was a Muslim terrorist using a car and a knife. Um, And uh, Adam Feldman, uh, who's a theater critic, and I I know that when I'm looking for solid political analysis, I always go straight to the theater critics. Here is Adam Feldman. What happened at Ohio State is terrible, but mass stabber leaves eight people with non-life-threatening injuries is why gun control matters. First of all, we have no evidence that this guy ever tried to even apply for a gun. He probably could have gotten one legally. There was nothing to stop him in the state of Ohio, I assume. And beyond that, you know, th- this is a real strained argument. So it's, it's an, uh, when, when, when your outcome is always the same to your argument, there's something wrong with your argument. So if somebody shoots people, that's evidence that gun control is necessary. And if somebody stabs people, that's, in, that's evidence that gun control is working. Amazing, amazing how that operates, according to the left. The left had to jump to their narrative— you know, it's, it's very funny. The left is talking a lot these days about fake news, this, this big fake news controversy, uh, this idea that, that people were driven to their various political perspectives by news that, that confirms their bias. There's truth to this, but this is an example of how the left did it, right? So the reality is we're always looking for confirmation bias. It's one of the reasons why on this program I really strive to sort of give you what I think are the unbiased sets of facts. I make my perspective clear, but I'm going to tell you the truth whether it benefits me personally or not, right? I mean, during the entire election cycle, I was very critical of Donald Trump. That certainly didn't benefit me in any way. You know, when it comes to his presidency, I'm going to call it like I see it. I think that most people have a tendency to find a piece of news and then try and fit it into the puzzle of their thinking. So everybody's, everybody's worldview has a set of holes that are to be filled by pegs. Every piece of news is a peg. If the peg doesn't fit, people try to ram it in anyway. That's exactly what happened with the left. On this story, they wanted a gun control peg to stick in their gun control worldview. It was a square peg. They tried to shove it in the round hole anyway, uh, and it ends up making them look stupid as well it should. Here's my rule. We should wait till all the facts are out. This is true on police shootings. It's true on Black Lives Matter riots. It's true on all this stuff. Okay, you should always wait, and I don't always abide by this rule. I should. I'm trying to hold myself to a higher standard on this. We should always try to wait till the facts are out, or at least base our opinions on the best available facts before we jump to a conclusion that confirms our worldview. That's what we should do. Uh, Because otherwise we're not actually analyzing the news, we're just hacks trying trying to bolster what we already think about the universe, and that's not really particularly useful to anybody. You should let the evidence lead you to a conclusion rather than letting your conclusion lead you to the evidence. Okay, we're going to have to break there, but we have much more coming up. We're going to deconstruct the culture. In a little while, we're also going to talk about Donald Trump and flag burning, which is, I have sort of interesting take on that, maybe different than some of the ones you've heard today. Go to dailywire.com to become a subscriber, eight bucks a month. If you become an annual subscriber, we are still offering the special deal. You get a free copy of my novel, True Allegiance, signed by yours truly. You can frame it. You can keep it forever, hand it down to your children, one day say that you received a signed copy or alternatively sell it on eBay. I can't stop you. But dailywire.com is where you go to become a subscriber and uh, and make sure that uh, that you you know, take advantage of that because it's, it's it is a great service. Obviously, you get to see the rest of this show live. Uh, you get to be part of the mailbag, which we're doing on Thursday. Uh, you get to watch Clavin's show live, be part of his mailbag, and we have new goodies coming up all the time for our subscribers. Some big ones coming up actually pretty soon. We're excited to announce. So, DailyWire.com is where you subscribe. Go there right now to become part of the largest conservative podcast in America. <clears throat> So before we get to Donald Trump's tweets about flag burning, which we'll get to in just a second, uh, I want to just sign off with some some final thoughts on uh, on Fidel Castro and the left's reaction. I mentioned yesterday that the left has been treating Fidel Castro with the uh, with with you know kid gloves. They've been basically saying that he's not so bad. Here's Keith Ellison, who is the the prospective head of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, this guy is uh, a raging anti semite, has been for for twenty five years. People are trying to. Kind of pussyfoot around that issue. The media have been avoiding it, but here he is, basically saying the Castro wasn't so bad.
1: He was a revolutionary leader who confronted a a system of government that excluded everybody except the military and the money rich. And and because he, and he took them on, defeated them, and then set the country up in a way where did he use harsh dictatorial tactics? Yeah, probably he did. Uh, but did he also? Stand up for you know uh, peace and freedom uh, in Africa. Absolutely. I mean, his Cuban forces took on the uh, took on the South African apartheid military forces and defeated them. Uh, and and, 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 and uh, was actually sent doc- deployed doctors from everywhere to Chernobyl to all over Africa wherever people were sick. You know, he sent those doctors there. Uh, you know, made med- medical education. Uh, very available made medicine available and so if you look at his legacy what do you have to say that he confronted um, people who with a lot of power uh, on behalf of people who didn't have any so- but he also uh, did jail people who were political critics of his mm. he did also uh, you know you know not allow total and free speech uh, and uh, so I think it's a mixed bag But for anybody
0: to say that he was all bad, that's all wrong. Okay, so to say that he was all bad, that's all wrong? Okay, so again, as I mentioned yesterday, with regard to the South African apartheid and all the rest of this sort of stuff, the fact is that Fidel Castro supported any Marxist movement that he could find anywhere around the world. He didn't care about racism. Che Guevara was a raging racist, a raging racist, if you read any of his writings. Um, But I love where he says, was he repressive? Probably. Well, probably. I mean, (laughs) like, two million people fled his island ghetto. Uh, yes, it, he was repressive, but the left can never just say that a communist dictator was bad. Eugene Robinson, as a columnist for the Washington Post, he also goes off the reservation when it comes to when it comes to Castro. And again, the left feels the need to, to defend.
2: And one of the stories I kept hearing was was about what happened when um, Fidel Castro went to to modern China for the first time, and and um, as, you know, Raúl Castro was. Impressed with the Chinese model of uh, one-party state, um, with economic uh, uh, liberalism, capitalism, essentially, and all this development that had gone on, and apparently Fidel Castro, as was reported to me, was horrified at what he saw in China. He he hated it. He thought the, the, the inequality of income and the, and the and the division of society into sort of haves and have-nots, and the way some people were getting rich and all this development, he didn't like it one bit, uh, and so. He, he was indeed in that sense a true believer in the decrepit antiquated oppressive communist system that he Put in place, and as long as he drew breath, um, frankly, I believe there were limits beyond which uh, Raul Castro, in any attempt to modernize or to reform, limits beyond which it was difficult for him to go.
0: Okay, so, he, so apparently he hated income inequality so much that he kept everybody in abject poverty, which is just wonderful. I do love the fact that, that Eugene Robinson says Castro really hated income inequality. What was, a quick question anybody, any, any ideas? What was Fidel Castro's net worth at the time of his death? Any guesses? Any guesses? What was Fidel Castro's net worth at the time of his death in a communist nation? One and a half billion. One and a half billion. Taylor, any guesses? No idea. idea. He was nine hundred million dollars. Nine hundred million dollars. Right. So good. Good. Not not a terrible guess, Austin. Uh, Well played. Little little bit overestimating it, but it's okay. We're we're now in the habit of overestimating people's wealth. Um, But in any case, the 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 fact is that you know for for a guy who hated income inequality, he sure was fine with it when he was the beneficiary, wasn't he? So it's it's pretty pretty impressive. Uh, So that's, that's amazing. The left continues to sort of do odes to an evil, evil dictator, mini Stalin. Uh, I will give credit to Chris Matthew. say, Chris Matthew got a big brother of the show. And he said, came in, he said, what are you talking about? Why are you all praising Castro? That's a bastard. Chris Matthew, let me see, go talk, go.
1: You know, people say, oh, he was good for education and good for, well, he wasn't good for the health of the people he executed. And he wasn't so good for their education as he ended their lives because they dared to speak, dared to speak politically. To this day, are you allowed to speak politically in Cuba? Can a person make it? Let me go to Jose on this. Do I think there's been too much romanticism about this guy in this country that's got to be corrected.
0: Okay, so good, good at least for Chris Matthews uh, for saying something true on MSNBC about Fidel Castro. Uh, it is a rarity, and it shows the split in the left. So I think Chris Matthews is still one of the semi-honest people on the left. Uh, they're, they're growing scarcer and scarcer. Okay, now it's been a few days since we've done good Trump, bad Trump, and as we say, this will be a long-lasting feature of the Ben Shapiro Show. So let's do it. Some good Trump, bad Trump. Good Trump, bad Trump.
3: Which one will we get
0: today? All righty, so. Uh, normally, we begin with good Trump, and then everybody gets all depressed when we hit bad Trump. So today, we're going to begin with bad Trump, and then we'll get to some good Trump. So here is some—we'll start with some bad Trump. Oh, no! So, as always, Donald, ba- bad Trump begins with Donald Trump's Twitter feed. Um, and, look, I think that Donald Trump— like Barack Obama, he's, he's a pathological narcissist, and that means that he needs to be front and foremost in everybody's mind all the time. It's very important to him. Barack Obama, my dad made this point to me early in Obama's tenure, that Barack Obama was seeking ubiquity. That Barack Obama wanted to be at the top of everybody's mind all the time. And the way he did that was he inserted himself in like the the baseball all-star game, or he would be appear on ESPN, or suddenly he's appearing on Dancing with the Stars, or whatever it was, right? He's with Rachel Ray. Like, he was constantly sort of popping up like Forrest Gump in random places. Um, and, it, and by the way, he governed like Forrest Gump as well. The part that was in, in, in foreign policy, he was always running Forrest running, but you know, Barack Obama tried to create ubiquity by just being there, by just being in different places. And it was really irritating, and it was really arrogant, and it was really, really annoying. Um, but it was sort of unobtrusive in the sense that he wasn't like taking up that much mental real estate. He was just there. like Everywhere you look, there's Obama. It's like, God, just get out of my face. Just leave. Trump has a different way of creating ubiquity, and that is to say something stupidly controversial. And I don't think that all of it is, is him thinking it through. I don't think this is 8th-level chess. I still don't think anything Trump does is 4-D chess. I think that virtually everything Trump does is gut instinct. Some of that works out well. Some of it works out really poorly. It was really funny. So this morning, Donald Trump issues this tweet that's gained all sorts of attention about flag burning. Quote, nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. So a lot of people thought, okay, this is 4-D chess. He's trying to throw his base, I thought maybe this is possible, he's trying to throw his base some red meat, so when he names Mitt Romney later today, his Secretary of State, which is certainly a possibility, then he will be able to say, well, I gave you some red meat, right? I gave you, I gave you some red meat. Then there's the realistic assessment. And the realistic assessment uh, comes courtesy of, I'm trying to remember who said this on Twitter, I'll, I'll get the, the name later, um, but at 6, uh, look when he tweeted this, right, it was, it was 3.55 a.m., right, that's, that's 3.55 A.M. I think that's that's Pacific time, correct? So that's a, so he, so 6:55 A.M. Eastern time, 6:25 A.M. Eastern time. There's an, there's a segment on Fox News about college kids burning flags on campus. So the more realistic assessment is not that Trump is playing 3D chess or 40 chess or 90 chess in an attempt to distract from the real issues. Realistically speaking, Donald Trump is an old fat guy who sits at the top of Trump Tower and he sees something on Fox News and he tweets about it. Right. He's sort of like a talk radio caller. Right. He's just that's that's what he does. And, you know, and then he and then it keeps him in the news and he's sort of amused that people are doing it. And great. You know, that's that's, I think, the most realistic assessment. Now, as to the content of this, again, I'm this shoe. It has made its return. Okay, shoe on other foot. Okay, we're going to take this shoe and put it on the other foot. Imagine that Barack Obama said nobody. Should be allowed to make an anti Hillary Clinton documentary. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. Would you be saying that sounds a little fascistic? Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. You would, because it is a little fascistic. In fact, this is more than a little fascistic. There's something that he says here that's not completely wrong, and then he says something here that's completely insane. So the thing that's not completely wrong, everybody immediately goes to, flag burning is protected by the Constitution. Okay, flag burning may or may not be protected by the Constitution. I want to be very realistic about the legal analysis here. In 1989, there was a Supreme Court case. It was called Texas versus Johnson. And in Texas versus Johnson, the Supreme Court, with a 5-4 majority, very closely divided court, with Justice Scalia as the deciding vote, voting with the left on the court, said that flag burning is protected by the Constitution the United States. There's been a bipartisan consensus for a century that flag burning is bad and people have been trying to criminalize it including by the way Hillary Clinton who in 2005 pushed a piece of legislation that would have given somebody a year in jail right which is what Trump is saying for burning the American flag. You know Justice Scalia said quote if I were king I would not allow people to go about burning the American flag however we have a first amendment But they neglect the fact that at the time of Texas versus Johnson, 48 states had laws against flag burning. The first laws began to pass at the very end of the 19th century. Justice Rehnquist said in dissent, For more than 200 years, the American flag has occupied a unique position as the symbol of our nation, a uniqueness that justifies a governmental prohibition against flag burning. Most of the state statues are patterned after the Uniform Flag Act of 1917. Justice Kennedy said, The flag protects those who hold it in contempt. That's a very silly statement because the fact is the flag doesn't protect people who don't pay their taxes or who poop in public. Not all behavior is protected just because the flag protects that behavior, right? There's all sorts of behavior that we say could be construed as First Amendment behavior, but we don't uphold it. In fact, the Supreme Court doesn't, right? And the, the Supreme Court has said that if you ban cross-burning, that's constitutional, but if you ban flag-burning, that isn't, which is utterly incoherent. Justice Earl Warren, who is a crappy justice, but he's right on this, he says the government may conscript men into the armed forces where they must fight and die for the flag, but the government may not prohibit the public burning of the banner under which they fight. Right? The fact is that flag burning, the whole reason that flag burning used to mean something is that you were risking arrest when you did it. Right? It used to be like Martin Luther King doing a sit-down strike. That meant something when you did it because he went to jail for it. When you do a protest and you're risking jail time, that's the nature of the protest. It is also hypocritical, it should be worth noting here, that the left is fussing about this. I mean, the left hates free speech. You know, The left despises free speech. Uh, you know, the left is, again, arguing that you, there should be criminal penalties if you make an anti-Hillary documentary 60 days before an election. But I will say this. It, first of all, it is bad policy. Flag-burning statutes are idiotic. They're a waste of time. They're a waste of effort. They're a waste of money. The government sucks at everything. This is just another thing the government sucks at, and the more— Power You give governments to jail people for what are essentially political statements, the worse off you are. So it, it, it seems foolish to me to pass such legislation. I think that Trump is not politically stupid for doing this. This is a, a fight where it looks like a bunch of kind of red-blooded Americans who hate flag burning against people who are pro-flag burning, but that's not what it is. There's a basic principle at stake here, which is you should be able to express yourself politically without facing jail. But the part of the statement that's insane is not that you're in jail, right? The part that's insane is loss of citizenship. That's nuts. OK, that's that's patently nuts. That's not to say that if you're, you're an, an immigrant and you like burning the flag, we should let you become a citizen. But if you're already a citizen, the idea that I was born in America and I burn a flag and now I'm not an American citizen anymore. All my rights are gone. You can stick me in Gitmo. That's nuts. OK, that's fascism. It really is. That's fascism. The idea that the president of the United States should espouse legislation or legal proceedings that would strip people of citizenship for burning an American flag. I mean, that, that's something we should take a little bit more seriously. And, you know, you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place on Trump's Twitter feed because you don't want to give it too much credibility. After all, it's Twitter feed, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just Twitter crap. But by the same token, he is the president, and you have to take what he says seriously. I would take it seriously if Obama said it. I took it seriously when Barack Obama got up in front of the U.N. and criticized the use of the First Amendment to make a YouTube video against Islam. I said, it's none of the president's business. You don't get to rip on use of the First Amendment, Here Trump is doing the same thing and calling for a loss of citizenship. And again, I take citizenship pretty seriously. So does Trump, right? I mean, he doesn't want to hand out citizenship like candy. The idea of stripping people of citizenship without due process or even with due process on behalf of burning the American flag, you don't get to criticize Castro for imprisoning dissenters and then talk about how it's okay to strip people of citizenship for burning a flag. That's that's patently nuts, okay? This is this is pretty nuts. Meanwhile. Donald Trump last night, apparently he's still, speaking of pathological narcissism, we're still in bad Trump. Don't worry, we'll get to good Trump. Um, Speaking of pathological narcissism, Donald Trump is obviously very bothered by the fact that he lost the popular vote by 2 million votes. And so he is now tweeting about this by retweeting 16-year-old kids. Uh, He says, uh, he's retweeting this guy, filibuster. Pathetic, you have no sufficient evidence that Donald Trump did not suffer from voter fraud. Shame, bad reporter. And then Joe Bowman, 12, Jeff Delaney, just another generic CNN part-time wannabe journalist. And then he's tweeted, CNN still doesn't get it. They will never learn. Well, I mean, CNN did hire his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, while he was being paid by Trump. And he says, what proof do you have? Donald Trump did not suffer from millions of fraud votes. Journalist, do your job. One of these kids was, uh, and there are a bunch of these, one of these kids, um, one of the people he's retweeting is a 16-year-old kid. So the president-elect of the United States is retweeting 16-year-olds to criticize CNN. I don't think it's a particularly good Look. I mean, I am happy that when a politician is tweeting a 16-year-old, at least it's not Anthony Weiner. Um, But by the same token, it's not exactly ideal. And by the way, the standard of proof is not, if you make an allegation like there are 3 million illegal votes in the country, I would hope that you have something to back it up other than, well, just prove me wrong, prove me wrong. It's not the media's job to prove a negative, that there was no voter fraud. It's your job to prove that there was some voter fraud, obviously, when you make the allegation. Uh, Katrina Pearson was on Fox News with Megyn Kelly trying to defend this Katrina Pearson was officially named, I think, the the second worst uh, Trump surrogate of the campaign. The official worst was Ben Carson, the new Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. But Katrina Pearson was number two, um, and uh, we're number two. Here's Katrina Pearson. So it's,
1: it's a vote. It's it's a and, and They without said there were two million. Proof. Well, but there have been instances, like in Iowa, there was a some, a woman who was convicted and prosecuted for voting, and she was that in does a does not make and millions. These things Do happen. A woman. Well, a woman does not equal millions. And, that's what m- and I'm millions saying. possible months or a year earlier does not make it actually happen on November 8th. Right. Well, I also think that's something we should look at. You know, the, the argument here is that you can't prove it. Well, how about we disprove it? do you it? Let's want start with anyone looking at anything when your team won? Well, we don't. It's just the point. Of if you're going to say something like we won because of X, Mr. Trump is saying no, you didn't. Look, Mr. Trump won this race. But he should be. elected the, to be the president. In doing that. Why isn't it enough for well, him that he won the electoral college? Why does he have to make up information that he also won the popular vote, which he lost? Because people know government is corrupt. That's quite obvious now. The, no. the, America has voted. Yeah, no, no. They okay, don't stop, trust their politicians. Stop,
0: stop this idiot. Stop. Stop her. First of all, she should go away forever. Forever. She should go away. She should She should be cast aside to some local journalistic school where she can learn what facts are. Katrina Pierce. Oh, my God. It's just. It's just awful. I'm sorry. Your guy won. As I said yesterday, this is like negotiating with my two-year-old. You know, my two-year-old says... I want three cookies, and we say no. You can have you can have one cookie, and she says I want zero cookies, right? I mean, like it, the, you won. Shut up! Like what are you doing? But again, we live in a fact-free universe. You can either find it. Patently hilarious that we live in a fact-free universe, by the way, or you can weep about it. We sort of do both here on the show, depending on my mood on the day. Um, but it is amazing we live in this fact-free world where any allegation must be taken seriously by the media. But then if Trump says something actually serious, like revoke citizenship for flag burning, don't pay attention to Donald Trump saying that. How dare you pay attention? Here's another fact-free allegation. Here's Kellyanne Conway's tweet. She said, 306, landslide, blowout, historic, This is 306 electoral votes. Let me point something out. Donald Trump lost by more votes than any president-elect in the history of the United States. He lost by two million votes. The reason that's important is because I don't want people learning the wrong lesson from Trump's win. If you think he won a landslide, blowout, historic... You think that he's going to win re-election easily. It's not true. You think that he can pursue exactly the same sort of campaign he did this time and govern in a Trumpian way and win. That's not true either, okay? This was a fluke election. He lost by two million votes, and he won by very narrow margin in Wisconsin and Michigan and Florida and Ohio. Well, Ohio he won big, but Florida and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan, he all won very, very narrowly. Just for the sake of factual analysis, okay? 306 is not a landslide, a blowout, or historic. It is more electoral votes than Bush won. It is also, of the 54 presidential elections that have taken place in the history of the United States, this ranked, in terms of blowout status, number 44. It's in the bottom 10. Okay, that is not a landslide. It is not a blowout. It is not historic. Obama won more electoral votes both times than, than Trump won last time. Right, this is, it's just, you don't have to make things up. You don't. You don't have to make, th- he won. Why is, is this necessary? It's only necessary if you're building up this myth of the God King, and I'm sorry, but that's not an important myth to build. How about you build up a myth of—how about instead of building up a myth of a God King, you build up a really solid presidency, and then we can all be proud of the president instead of being proud of false silliness like he won by a million votes but for fraud, and 306 is an electoral blowout, it isn't. Okay, that is, that. is—that's all for bad Trump. Now, enough of the moaning. It's time for a little bit of good Trump. So let's do some good Trump. His cabinet picks are actually— pretty good. So, uh, one final note on bad Trump before we leave that. The stuff with Mitt Romney is silliness, okay? We'll we'll see what happens with Mitt Romney, but apparently, as I said yesterday, Kellyanne Conway is a hired gun. She doesn't go on national television and rip Romney without Trump's approval. It came out this morning. Of course, I was right, because I'm right about everything except the results of that last election. And, uh, And the fact is that Kellyanne Conway was being told by Trump it was okay to attack Romney. I don't know why Romney would, would step into that pit of snakes. It just seems like an idiot's mission. But we'll see what happens. In the meantime, Trump's actually made a couple of, of good picks. One is, is really good and one is kind of half good. The one that's really good is Tom Price for Health and Human Services. Representative Tom Price is uh, a very, very anti-Obamacare figure. Uh, he's somebody who in, is in favor of the increasing privatization of Medicare, which is something that's going to need to happen. It's a bankrupt system. Uh, he is the House Budget Committee chair, Republican from Georgia, and he's likely going to be in charge of dismantling the Obamacare system. He's the guy who basically wrote the plan on how to do it. So this is a very good pick by, by Donald Trump. They're saying that this was really impacted strongly by Mike Pence, that makes perfect sense. Uh, but Trump gets the credit. He's the president-elect. A good pick by Donald Trump there. Elaine Chow is the person who was picked for transportation secretary. She was secretary of labor under George W. Bush. The reason that he, he's, she's being picked now for, for secretary of transportation is because she also happens to be the wife of Senate Majority, Mitch, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. So much for the drain the swamp stuff. She, I think she'll be good at her job. But the real reason she was picked is because Trump intends on trying to ram through a trillion dollar spending package on infrastructure. And he's hoping that if he goes to Mitch McConnell and says, hey, you know who gets to administer that trillion dollars? It's your wife. Then Mitch McConnell over in the Senate, he says, "Okay, let's ram that through and let's give my wife a trillion dollars of taxpayer money uh, to 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 pay with, uh, to play with." But she is she's definitely competent. She's was, she's was highly competent as Secretary of Labor. Tom Price is a very good pick for Health and Human Services. He's a little bit establishment for some people. I know Mark Levin is not a huge fan, but I think that Tom Price, by the available evidence, is a good pick. As I said, I think by the available evidence, Betsy DeVos for Secretary of Education is a good pick. She's a little more controversial. Um, but if you look at his recent cabinet picks, they've been pretty good. If you look at what he's saying, it's been typically Trumpian. And I think that's going to be the divide. He's going to be doing, trying to do some good things. I hope, I hope, I hope he's going to be saying some really dumb things. And that's a little bit irritating. Okay. Time for some things I like, things I hate, and then we'll do some deconstructing the culture today. Okay. So things I like, uh, there's a great biography of, uh, of, uh, Winston Churchill, by Martin Gilbert. Uh, Martin Gilbert is uh, was a wonderful man. He actually, I corresponded with him a little bit um, while he was alive. Obviously, uh, he's uh, th- this book is a massive tome uh, about Churchill's life. It's actually a, a mashup. I think it used to be a three volume series. Uh, really detailed. Really good. Uh, it is. It is. Everything you'll ever need to know about Churchill. Uh, The other Churchill biography, if you're into Churchill biographies, there are three good Churchill biographies. This one, William Manchester's Churchill biography, is just terrific. William Manchester is a really, really good writer. And Paul Johnson did a much shorter Churchill biography if you're looking for just sort of a brief overview of Churchill's life. Um, But this is a really good book by Martin Gilbert, the late Martin Gilbert, who is a, a tremendous fellow and also a tremendous writer. Okay, time for some things I hate. Let's do it. So we begin with Keith Olbermann. So I don't know why Keith Olbermann is still relevant other than he just keeps ranting. Uh, he used to be the guy who's kind of funny when he was on Sports Center. Now he does a show for somebody or other that nobody has ever watched. Uh, it's called The Resistance, I guess, and it's got the safety pin to demonstrate he doesn't like Trump. In case you were unaware, Keith Olbermann isn't a Trump fan. Are you, are you shocked? Are you shocked? Here is Keith Olbermann, a legitimately insane person ripping on Donald Trump.
4: I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. More than 36 hours after Donald Trump revealed the full extent of his disconnect from reality, the jaw-dropping, terrifying moment in which the president-elect of the United States of America publicly stated he believes the election was still rigged against him even though he won it, and we still await The first serious, sober discussion in our nation's media about the exact dimensions of and the exact nature of Mr. Trump's desperate psychological impairment. This has long since transcended politics. This has long since transcended diversions from his corruption or from the FBI or from foreign interference. This is not left versus right, nor liberal versus conservative, nor alt versus inclusive, nor any of the excuses that newspapers and television made Sunday and Monday in hopes of preserving the political media complex. This is not funny, and this is not ego, and this is not, oh, he just speaks his mind. This is an existential threat to the United States of America. The president-elect Donald Trump is manifestly, profoundly, and dangerously, psychologically imbalanced.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, hearing Keith Olbermann calling people insane. I mean, in his favor, if anybody knows insane, it's Keith Olbermann. So I guess there's that. But I mean, when he goes home and he plays with his cats at night, crying into his, his hand-knitted pillow about Donald Trump, he, he, he's talking about Donald Trump being insane. Look, As you may have noticed, I'm not the world's biggest Donald Trump fan, but having Keith Olbermann fulminating like a crazy person about why Donald Trump's insane, he fulminated the exact same way with this level of outrage about George W. Bush. I was there. I remember it. So when he does it about Donald Trump, it just has no credibility at all. The left has been calling the right pathologically insane for years and years and years, for as long as I've been alive. They called Ronald Reagan insane, too. Trump is not Reagan. I think Trump is a much more dangerous figure than Reagan or Bush, but... Again, you cry wolf a thousand times, and then you're shocked when nobody pays attention to you. Nobody is paying attention to you. Nobody is is paying attention to you. Okay, so other things that I hate. Um, there's a piece of street art that Huffington Post has a long article about. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, Huffington Post has a long article about it. For those who can't see, because they're listening, uh, it's a picture of, says someone put this up on a wall somewhere. And if you put it up on a wall, then, then Huffington Post will cover it. <laughs> Uh, if you pee on the wall, Huffington Post will cover it as, a, as an experiment in transgenderism as well. Like pretty much anything that that happens on a wall, the, the Huffington Post will cover. And so here, here is a picture. It's a picture of a, a black lady uh, and what looks like a Hispanic lady and a picture of Sean King maybe uh, and an Asian lady. Uh, and it says, America is black. It is native. It wears a hijab. It is a Spanish-speaking tongue. It is migrant. It is a woman. It is here, has been here, and it's not going anywhere. So I assume that this is a, a strike at the idea that America is a white country, it's a Christian country. Okay, First of all, America is not the people who live here. Okay, It's not just the people who live here. And this sort of nativism, whether it's the people who came as immigrants or the people who were born here, nativism is not what America is about. It's not just the people who are here. America is an idea. America is an idea of what liberty is and what freedom is and what liberty and government are and what human responsibility entails. And the idea of boiling America down to just the people who live here that America is just a set of borders and anybody who's here, that's America. No, America is about a common concept of liberty. That's what the founders came together to create. Okay, because this same thing could be said about, you know, France is black, it is native, it wears a hijab, it is a Spanish-speaking tongue, right? You could say this about any any country on earth. You could basically say this about, unless it's an ethnocentric place that doesn't allow any of these other things, uh, you know, unless it's Saudi Arabia or something. But the fact is that, America is more than its people. America is the idea that its people are supposed to embrace. And because the left doesn't see this, because the left just sees America as an agglomeration of randoms who are, in, who are inside the borders, that leads to divisions that are impossible to bridge. And you see a response from that on the right, where instead of saying America is a set of ideals, you say people, oh, well, America is the natives who live in, in Ohio. America is the white people who live in Michigan. Now, America is, is the idea of America. That's why America was America when it was the 13 colonies, and it's America today. The fact is that once you stray from those ideals, you're no longer America. What makes America America is the freedoms and liberties enshrined in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, a vision of God-given rights protected by limited government with individual responsibility filling the holes. That's the idea of America. That's what matters, not silly posters like this. All right. Uh, Final thing that I hate. Uh, No thing I hate would be complete without Joy Behar sounding off. Uh, Joy Behar uh, is uh, is yelling and screaming because that's what she does on a regular basis, and here she goes.
1: Who's to say there wasn't some sort of hacking going on? There wasn't some sort of Russian involvement because there's an
4: example of it. I don't know why he doesn't just say, you know what, do whatever you want. Recount it if you yeah, want. Do whatever yeah. you want.
0: Maybe he's frightened that they're going to find something, and he really didn't win.
1: I think he. I think he, pr- <laughs> the, the issue is if it was, you know.
0: Okay, so the idea uh, that—I do love Joy Behar. He thinks that he's going to lose. No, he's not really that afraid of it. He's he's just—he's knee-jerk. But but again, they're going to keep pushing this myth that Hillary Clinton's actually going to win if you just count the votes often enough. Okay, final thing that I hate, and I'll do this because I should have gotten to it earlier. This is uh, eleven. Uh, this is the this is David Wall. So David Wall, you've seen me on Megan Kelly with him. I'm very often debating him because he's very pro-Trump. I wrote this piece about Trump's flag burning, and David Wall tweeted, Iron fist approach to people who spit on America. It's about GD time, GD being God blank, right? Iron fist approach to people who spit on America. Iron fist approach? Iron fist? Really? Like, that's America? America is people say things you don't like, people dissent, people do things that are vile, and iron fist? Like, really? And you're criticizing Castro for what again? Like, uh, Listen, I have no tolerance for people who spit on America either. But the best way to fight them is to show that they're wrong, not to jail them or to strip them of citizenship. Iron fist approach? And you wonder why people worry about the rise of fascism. Fascism isn't exclusive to right or left. Fascism is just the idea that people who disagree with you ought to be punished for it by point of gun. And that's what this is. I mean, David Wool should know better. He's a lawyer. I, I would assume he does, but... Once you get down that rabbit hole too far, things start to look really, really, really ugly, and that's that's just evidence of it. All right, here, uh, it's time for, let's do a little bit of deconstructing the culture. So we'll start with, uh, there are two songs that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do today. We'll start with uh, my least favorite pop star, Ariana Grande, the donut Liquor of Lake Elsinore. We call her that because uh, she was caught... Maybe a year ago, going into a donut shop and licking the donuts and then leaving them on the counter, which is just disgusting. Uh, But here is Ariana Grande with uh, another pop star who's mostly famous for flaunting her butt and and rapping quickly. Nicki Minaj. Uh, This song is called Side to Side, and it is typically, you know, filled with feeling and emotion and and genius. It's Shakespearean, I think. I can tell you oh. not the women objectifying themselves it's you objectifying them stop staring at them lustfully. stop it
3: <laughs>
0: okay she's she's they're still riding these bikes and now she's wearing a robe from Rocky. by the way is this is this proper workout attire i'm just wondering
3: i've been to the gym a lot i've never seen women
0: working out in these gloves Okay, so I'm just waiting until we get to the, to the, uh, we can fast forward to Nicki Minaj if that's possible, because we should get a little bit of Nicki Minaj being
3: idiotic. Okay. Go. Okay, and now she's touching herself in her croc region. Okay, so. Oh, uh, my gosh. Okay, so. I I, I I mean, talk about objectification of
0: people. They are actually, in this video, they are actually showing men who are painted like they're robots, like they're mannequins, right? I mean, this is full-on objectification. So in case you weren't paying attention to the lyrics, and honestly, if you're watching this visually, very difficult to pay attention to the lyrics. Here are the actual lyrics, okay? I've been there all night, Ariana. I've been there all day, Nicki Minaj. And boy, got me walking side to side, let them hoes know... I'm talking to you. See so you standing over there with your body, feeling like I want to rock with your body, and we don't think about nothing, about nothing. I'm coming at you because I know you got a bad reputation. Doesn't matter because you give me temptation, and we don't think about nothing, about nothing. Yeah, see that's sort of the problem: is the thinking about nothing thing. Okay, I, I have to point out here that the feminist movement will consider this female empowerment. Okay, this is no different than the pornography that men used to look at in Playboy. And that was why it was called objectification. Playboy launched the feminist movement in response to In response to Playboy. The feminist movement said men objectify women. So now if women objectify themselves, and they're doing this right for the money, I mean that's what this is. Ariana Grande wouldn't be doing this for free, I assume. And neither would Nicki Minaj. You know, dressing up like this and oiling herself up and, and gyrating around near naked. You know, the the fact is that, you know, i I'm, I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna tell my daughter, okay? I have a daughter who's two and a half. If you don't respect yourself enough to treat your body as more than just a sex object, then you're selling yourself short. You're selling yourself short. You're, you're degrading your own soul. And this idea, I don't think about nothing, I just want to rock your body, okay, this is very, first of all, it's a very male attitude towards sex. I'm just going to say that males and females treat sex very differently. And this is politically incorrect, but tough, okay? Because biology suggests this is true. Males treat sex as a question of time and place. Women actually need a reason. Okay, If you say to a man, good-looking woman, she wants to have sex the only question the guy will ask is where and when if a woman is it, it, this idea that pop music portrays that women are just looking for a good looking guy to have sex with it generally isn't true and it portrays an inaccurate vision of what women are looking for and what women are and then men think that's what women are looking for and they react accordingly and they treat women like sex objects all this does is encourages men to treat women poorly, it actually doesn't increase their respect for women, it decreases their respect for women. So if you want women treated with more respect, you shouldn't be looking at Ariana Grande and Nicki Minaj as images of feminism, you should be saying they're undercutting the idea that men aren't supposed to view us as just sex objects because they're portraying themselves as sex objects. If you portray yourself as a sex object and you say, no thinking, no thinking, that's the theme of this thing, right? We're not going to think, no more thinking. Okay, so if you got a hot woman and she's not thinking, I thought that that was the stereotype that sexists thought about women. That right, they're just pieces of meat that you're supposed to take advantage of because what the, they're stupid, they can't think for themselves, all they do is gyrate around looking for sex. It's an antiquated patriarchal view of women, but it's now been imbibed by the pop music culture and recast as feminism. Nobody would have been happier with this version of feminism, honest to God, nobody would have been happier than the sexists of the 1950s with this version of feminism, Hugh Hefner views these, you know, lustfully and lasciviously views these sorts of videos and says to himself, man, I should have gotten in on this gig instead of, instead of sticking with Playboy. Again, this is if, if, a woman, if a woman does not respect herself and her body enough to treat her body with respect and to treat herself as a human being with a soul that is deserving of respect, and if she doesn't understand men well enough to understand that men respond visually to visual stimuli like this and they're not going to be paying attention to what comes out of your mouth, they're only going to be pay, paying attention to everything else, then it's going to be very difficult to earn, a respect, earn respect from a man. You want to know why men act less respectful, less gentlemanly? Part of it is because women don't demand that respect because they don't respect themselves. And that's really a tragedy. Men don't care, by the way. Men are happy with this. Name, name a man in America. Name a sexist in America who's unhappy with this video. You're going to have a hard time. Okay, uh, the other song. This one is called Heathens from 21 Pilots. So this one was written for, uh, for Suicide Squad, which I haven't seen. Uh, I do want to see it uh, because I like comic book movies, but... Uh, it's the, the, the song was apparently also making reference to, um, you know, to, the, to the fans of 21 Pilots. The song is called Heathens, uh, and here is uh, what it sounds like. Some of this is, of course, from the trailer for Suicide Squad. This is written for Suicide Squad, so the visuals don't make much of a difference here. It's the lyrics that matter.
3: You don't know the half of the abuse. <laughs> All my friends are heathens. Take it slow. Wait for them to ask you who you. So the the only reason that
0: I bring this up is the, the lyrics are actually All my friends are heathens, take it slow, wait for them to ask you who you know Please don't make any sudden moves, you don't know half of the abuse All my friends are heathens. Welcome to the room of people who have rooms of people they loved one day docked away. Just because we check guns at the door doesn't mean our brains will change from hand grenades. The the only reason that I point this out is because there is a glorification in rock music, pop music, of heathenism, right? The idea that religion is bad every time you see something from pop culture. About religion, it's generally about how religion is restrictive, but heathenism and paganism are are something worthwhile. And I understand there's a bad boy theme here because the whole theme of the movie is a bunch of people who are insane criminals who are now being reactivated for decent purposes. But this is a generalized theme that I want to extend beyond the movie, and that is... The newfound worship for paganism and heathenism, the idea that that traditional Judeo-Christian religion is a bad and that there's something cool and and gutsy about heathenism, there's nothing cool and gutsy about heathenism. Uh, Heathenism is barbaric. Heathenism is cruel. It doesn't make you cool to be heathenistic and cruel. Uh, The idea that you have no values, the idea that, that there is no value system that is objectively true with regard to how you treat other human beings is a very dangerous one. The, the the kind of rise of paganistic culture, it, it, it holds something in common with, with virtually all bad movements have nothing to do with Judeo-Christian religion in today's day and age. Everybody seems very afraid of Judeo-Christian religion. That's what the country could use some more of. What it could use a little bit less of is the worship of the heathen. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we as a culture have decided that worship of the heathen uh, is, ...is more important. And that's a problem. It is a problem. It's, it, look at the alt-right. The alt-right is not Christian. They don't care about Christianity. They think Christianity is obscure. Uh, and instead, they, they seek out a sort of paganistic self-worship. Heathenism is about worship of something, but not a, an objective God who holds you accountable for your actions... Is really about worship of yourself in the end, uh, and that's not something any good society can survive. Which is a deep read on, on a pretty shallow song. Alrighty, so we'll be back here tomorrow, and uh, there'll be plenty more to talk about. I'm sure there there are probably some more cabinet appointments on the way, so we will discuss whether they are good or bad. Again, most of Trump's cabinet appointments have been pretty good so far. It's all the other stuff that seems kind of garbagey. Um, but we will bring you the latest in good Trump, bad Trump, and all the rest. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs>